0: The first two pillars of human health, or for my own health, I think, is obviously eating a good diet. second is being physically active, and you have to do those two things at the start. The third pillar is boosting cellular health, which I think is really the foundation pillar.
1: Dr. Anurag Singh is the chief medical officer at the Swiss life science company Amazentis. Hello again, I'm Peter Bose. Welcome to the Live Long and Master Aging podcast, where we dissect the science and explore the stories behind human longevity health optimization is what this podcast is all about physical strength and avoiding frailty and that means taking care of our mitochondria the energy centers of our cells timeline nutrition make mitopure a highly pure form of the gut metabolite urolithin A which plays an important role in the process our discount code is LAMA that's L-L-A-M-A You can find out more at llamapodcast.com and in the show notes for this episode, which was produced in association with Timeline. This is our latest episode covering the evolving science behind urolithin A, something we all produce, to greater or lesser extents, in our bodies. It's a product of our metabolism, the chemical processes that keep us alive. And it's a compound that research has shown is closely linked healthy ageing. Mitopure, which is a synthetic, highly pure form of urolithin A, is the result of more than a decade of research by Amazentis, and over the years that we've been talking about it, it's shown more and more promise as an aid to not only slowing down the ageing process, but boosting our energy and helping us feel stronger now. In this conversation, we also discuss the research that suggests urolithin A could play a key role in the health of our immune system and ability to fight disease. Anurag Singh, welcome back to the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. Thanks, pleasure is mine, Peter. Glad to be back. And not only are you back, but I'm with you here in Switzerland at your global headquarters for Amazentis. And uh, it's really good to be here. And an opportunity for me to find out more about Mm -hmm. uh, Urolithin A, Timeline, which is the name that you are now marketing the uh, the highly pure form of Urolithin A. Uh, Probably useful, though, I think, to go back to the beginning Mm -hmm. of the story. We've talked about this before. Mm -hmm. And if you're watching this on YouTube, if you're listening to this, you can just go into our search engine and find our previous episode. But let's talk about how all of this started. There's more than a decade of research has gone into mm-hmm. uh, what you're doing with urolithin A. Mm-hmm. How did you get involved?
0: Yeah, so this all, as you mentioned, started about a decade plus back. Um, yeah, it started in, uh, with the concept to bring the biotech approach to nutrition and really bring sort of the deep scientific understanding of how certain plant-based and diet-based molecules impact human health and so we started by deconstructing the pomegranate as we last talked. And, and in, in pomegranate, there are hundreds and thousands of bioactives that can potentially have human health benefits. And, and during our, our investigations, we found that this one particular molecule that we will talk about, urolithin A, uh, just outshone every other molecule uh, that, that we were studying at that time. And this is not present in the diets. So it's not present in pomegranates per se. Uh, when you're taking the pomegranates, they have polyphenolic components, such as ellagitannins that then get broken down by a gut microbiome. And that's where the process in the gut microbiome uh, sort of digestion of these uh, dietary compounds releases urolithin A. So it's basically a postbiotic. Let me ask you this right
1: at the beginning. Uh, sure. Urolithin A, we've talked about it a lot. Mm-hmm. Urolithin B C and sure. D also exist. Yeah. Can yeah. you? This is a family. Yeah. Can you explain the difference and are B, C, and D are they as important to us as Urolithin
0: A? They probably have some uh, importance for human health. So what we saw is that the, all of these Urolithins have some, uh, let's say, impact on longevity pathways and hallmarks of aging. Urolithin A just stood out because it had so much better effects compared to Urolithin B, C, and D, and and it's sort of the whole. Uh, gut transformation process where from the eligitanins you release first urolitin C and then you you can either produce urolitin A or or be in sort of the, you know, in the chain of uh, generation of urolitin A. We see that urolitin A is the most predominant uh, molecule produced in human sort of the gut ecosystem. Uh, About 30, 40% humans make uh, this molecule and about 10% make urolitin B. So these would be the two. Uh, our research has looked at all urolitins, but just urolitin A has been so much uh, more potent compared to other the Uralitins. And
1: uh, a big part of why this started mm-hmm. was that pomegranates mm-hmm. anecdotally sure. have a, a reputation for being healthy fruits, a healthy part of our diet. Now clearly it depends on mm-hmm. where you live in the world, whether mm-hmm. traditionally pomegranates have been something that you consume, mm-hmm. but I guess the first challenge was to try to delve into, the yes, the anecdotal evidence, but
0: see whether that was backed up by modern-day science. Sure. So we started by studying the pomegranate and, and really studying how different juices and extracts of pomegranate w- were having an impact, and, and, and there was a lot of research done previous to that on, on pomegranate juice or extracts, you know, in different models of uh, um biology and disease. And even in a lot of human trials, they had been studied with sort of inconsistent effects. Um, there would be trials where they would see a benefit in a few percentage of people, but not see an effect. Uh, and, and the more we studied it, we realized and that sort of uh, heterogeneity of the response that they were seeing in these trials basically boiled down to whether you naturally people were making urate or not. And so, we decided to sort of circumvent and short circuit the natural process by, you know, making pure uralitin A and delivering it in calibrated doses directly. And and then everybody could benefit and you could basically remove that heterogeneity in the in the in all the studies we do.
1: And did the potential of urolithin A, mm-hmm. or indeed the supplementation of urolithin A, mm-hmm. did that come as a surprise to you as, as a as a long term scientist and mm-hmm. and also as a as a doctor and mm-hmm. as a, originally a practicing doctor, yeah. you, you originally come from India, you, yeah. you lived around the world, you've studied in the yeah. United States as well. Mm-hmm. But when you looked in detail mm-hmm. at the potential
0: of your Yep. A, did it give you
1: cause to pause and to step back and think, hmm, this is this is fascinating.
0: Yeah, so I, I was trained as an internal medicine physician, and, and and believe it or not, in medical schools they don't teach the importance of nutrition and how big uh, a role good nutrition and good you know how it can delay the whole sort of hallmarks of aging and people can be less disease or less symptomatic as we age. Now, so my interest uh, really started because one of my mentors in the US was at that time studying a lot of natural compounds from pineapples or apples. And we were started, you know, that's how I got into the field 20 years back. And that led to a whole sort of uh, understanding that the, these natural bioactives had potential as, you know, to boost human health. The surprise came when, you know, I studied then, I moved to studying probiotics for a long time in my career. The surprise came that actually it was these probiotics, you know, the the gut microbiome had such a big impact on human health that it could harness some of these things we are eating on a regular basis like pomegranates or nuts which have all these really, you know, these polyphenols which I initially thought were the main uh, compounds for, for the benefit. That it was this postbiotic uh, that was the, the key to to all the effects we were seeing, so that was a surprise moment.
1: And to be clear, polyphenols, which are found originally from the, the pomegranate, mm-hmm. not exclusive of, of course to, mm-hmm. to pomegranates, yeah. there are other sources yeah. of of what's needed to generate urolithin A. Mm-hmm. So there are. You can you explain to me, there are other fruits, there are, there are nuts, there are other aspects of our diet.
0: Yeah, so there are walnuts, uh, which are very rich sources of elagitannins, pecans as well. Um, then there are other berries, such as raspberries, very rich in elagitannins. So there are a lot of these, you know, uh, traditionally, if you look, or even evolutionary, a lot of... Um, uh, we find now we have gone in and looked where you can actually find urolitinae in, in nature, even if it exists. So a lot of, uh, in Spain, uh, the Iberian, uh, pigs, they eat acorns. Acorns are one of the richest sources of, of elagitanins. And so you can basically take Iberian ham and you can detect urolitinae because, you know, these, uh, kind of farm-fed animals which are taking acorn on a daily basis. So, you know, it, it has been a long journey to try to understand the how urolithin A impacts human health, but it's been a fascinating journey. Just studying the different microbiome of different people who can make it or not make it is, is a fascinating journey itself. Well, that aspect is particularly mm-hmm. fascinating that,
1: yeah. uh, and as you explained to us last time, mm-hmm. we all can generate urolithin A, we can all use the elagitanins in our mm-hmm diet that we get Mm -hmm. from these particular foods to different extents. And Mm -hmm. most, vast majority of people, of course, don't know the answer to that question. Where do I stand on the scale? And I know there is a test. In fact, you have a test and I did the test personally. And uh, as it happens, I'm actually quite good Mm -hmm. on that scale. Mm -hmm. But to what extent, when you look across
0: populations, do people vary in their ability to to generate urolithin? Sure. Great question. So we have studied different we've gone in different parts of the world. We've studied the French, we've studied the Canadians, we've studied the American population. I can tell you the French have the best, Uh, maybe it's the diet they're eating, a lot of fermented cheese, etc. And and, um, so, what we see is about 30, 40 percent in the healthy French population, for example, you would see uh, naturally-produced urolitin A levels. Um, in the Canadian and in the American sort of metropolitan areas, if you go, you see the percentage drops down. So almost only about 10-15% people are naturally making it. And that can be to two things. They're not eating well, right? So they're not eating fruits and di- you know nuts in their daily diet on a daily basis. And second is even if they are eating it. So, for example, m- my own case, I think I'm eating right but my body does just not have the right gut microbiome. And you could boil it down to my early years in India with a lot of antibiotic use that just knocked my microbiome off. So a lot of us think we are eating right, but we just don't have the right gut microbiome. And that's the second key pillar uh, uh, that we think is is absolutely key to your production. So percentage-wise, it's variable. depends on where people in the world are eating right, perhaps more fermented food versus more exposure to fruits and nuts. But we, in general, see about 30% 30% in, you know, healthy human population. But the levels are variable. So uh, you would really need direct supplementation to get, unless you are one of those lucky 2-5% that just can naturally produce. So it was actually in the alleys of our, our building that we devised or uh, with Chris Rinch our CEO, I, I thought about, hey, let's make a test uh, so that people can already see if they're actually naturally making this molecule, and if they are at what levels, and then they can decide how to supplement uh, with this molecule.
1: Is it an aspiration to get doctors around the world and medical institutions to incorporate that test, uh,
0: perhaps at some point in the future, Mm -hmm. uh, along with the regular blood tests that we're all used to? I mean, that's the the vision, uh, you know, that precision nutrition would basically guide you to how you should Target your advanced supplementation needs. Today, we're all taking multivitamins. You, 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 especially during COVID, everybody was taking a lot of zinc and a gram of vitamin C just because it's, you know, known that these have immune benefit, but very little of it gets absorbed. We don't even know what diet exposure of vitamin C we are having if you're drinking a glass of orange juice. So that's basically what we want to change is, 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 is enable the consumer um, to know where they stand in terms of um, the levels they're producing and then they can calibrate the level of supplementation they need.
1: And just going back to the conversation about the variable degrees to which mm-hmm. we can produce your yeah. in A yeah. and that perhaps to some extent being dependent on where we were born and where we grew up and Absolutely. the kind of diets that we were used to. I think that's really fascinating because mm-hmm. of course that applies to other aspects of, of nutrition mm-hmm. and perhaps it's a myth that there is one kind of diet that would benefit mankind. And I, I think the science suggests that that's absolutely not the case, that yeah. some of us are just not made to utilize certain foods that our stomach microbiome isn't used to. And, and of course, we have widely different diets mm-hmm. yeah. across the world.
0: Yeah. That, that has been the biggest, uh, let's say, in 20 years of doing nutrition research, the biggest learning for me that optimal well, food-first approach, for sure, because, you know, if you can already get the benefits from food, uh, that's great. But a lot of us can harness the the, the nutrients. Uh, I gave my example in terms of urolitin A. So a lot of us think that we are eating right but and we are taking optimal diet, but it's really down to the gut microbiome. And That was the Yahoo moment for us. Uh, now, you could figure out what's that gut microbiome, uh, you know, species or strain that is involved and probably think that you could also, instead of taking the pure supplement, take juice and a potential probiotic. I've spent five years trying to find that probiotic or that gut microbiome strain. It's not easy because the gut microbiome is such a complex ecosystem. So yeah, I think that's where we are at in, the, in terms of research. Well, let's talk about where we are now mm-hmm. with urolithin A sure.
1: and what timeline, which is the name under which MitoPure mm-hmm. is sold around the world. Now, yeah. when we first spoke uh, yeah. two to three years ago, mm-hmm. you were just about to launch. You, you, you'd done the more than decade of, of, mm-hmm. of research mm-hmm. to to get to the point where yeah. you were beginning to market Mighty Pure. Yeah. So I'm curious what you've learned since then, and mm-hmm. especially the the global reaction, much of which will be anecdotal
0: yeah. evidence that you've gathered from individuals that have been using this. Sure. So I think when we last spoke we had uh, just started getting our first RCT randomized clinical trial data uh from different populations for example and we were preparing for our first launch and this was right in the if I recall in the peak of covid and and so that was quite a challenge uh and and what we have seen since then is we have uh launched the product we we I had the honor to actually speak to even the first 20 people the early adopters and a lot of these folks were you know different profiles, for example, an uh, older elite athlete who was probably uh, declining after a surgery of, a, you know, sort of a knee surgery declining and is trying to get back on his bike and not able to recover properly. And so we tried the product, came back to us telling me that, oh, wow, my recovery after, you know, I'm 60 plus, uh, my recovery was so bad, uh, sort of after my surgery, I had given hope. Now I've been on this molecule for about three, four months and and my recovery is so much better. I'm beating the time I was, you know, um, beating doing when I was in my 40s. So this sort of feedback, and of course these are anecdotal. Um, then there were f- folks with muscle disorders, people who have um, autoimmune muscle diseases, for example, who were having trying everything out there from stem cell injections to pharmacological interventions, not seeing many benefits, and they were coming back to me and saying, "Hey, we are using this in our." Uh, now uh, on your product, and we can actually climb a flight of stairs. So, this started seeding other ideas, and in the two years since then that we spoke, uh, we've managed to publish some of that data in really top journals. Uh, we have entered into collaborations with really the top uh, uh, schools out there and universities like Harvard and, and Northwestern, where we are now really trying to get into dif- different populations. But what led from these initial first conversations was we need to target athletes. So, that was one sort of stream uh, because athletes in terms of muscle and mitochondrial uh, performance are considered the optimal population. And, and, and there, were, there was a professor from Australia who came to us and said, well, you think they do have optimal health, but actually overtraining has a compromise effect on their mitochondria. So, for two years, we actually were ambitious enough to launch a trial during COVID and study really Olympian-level athletes were middle distance runners, and now we're just starting to get some of the data, which suggests that actually Uraltine improves cellular health, which helps in the recovery of, of, of these folks. Then there was the hospital setting. Again, big um, news in hospital during COVID times. The moment you walk into a intensive care in seven days, you lose about 10% of your muscle mass and strength, which is about a decade in, in the health healthy health span. And so this started coming back to us with a lot of investigators saying, well, what it works great in, in healthy settings and for older adults and middle-aged adults. Would it work for somebody who's hospitalized? Will it get them out of the hospital faster? So these are kind of research we are doing in terms of extending our knowledge on the muscle and and physical performance, but there are a lot of other streams like immune health and, and we can talk about skin longevity as well.
1: Exactly, I want, I want to talk about both of those. But yeah. Just going back to the anecdotal evidence sure. and that you did elaborate just now, obviously on the scientific evidence and mm-hmm. the studies that you're yeah. doing. I'm curious that as a scientist, are you instinctively skeptical about some of the anecdotal evidence? Because of course, uh, there is no control. We are an N equals one when you yeah. have an individual saying, yeah, I actually feel better having taken this product, it could potentially be all in the mind that you're taking the product, therefore you think you feel better and that you you need to be, I guess, careful in yeah. terms of um,
0: the importance that you lay on that
1: anecdotal evidence.
0: Yeah, so you, you can overplay it, but but I think uh, over the years what I've learned is that actually it seeds new ideas and directions for, for research where you could potentially go. So like uh, the first Twenty people, five were athletes and they were telling us about recovery and heart rate variability being, you know, impacted with Urolitin A. And I thought, wow, if that's the case, let's actually design the, the next RCT. So to, to prove that, that you know, what we are hearing is real. So I think if you have the trial data, then the real world data that you hear from consumers really can supplement the message. And that's how I see it today. And end of one, you mentioned about that. Yes, you need to listen to people because when you start, we, we are now giving questionnaires, for example, to consumers who want to sort of give feedback. And we we have a very calibrated scale even where people can tell us about, you know, is it strength? Is it endurance? Is it fatigue? And and we are trying to capture this information now, you know, instead of and of one. We're just taking a lot of those n of one, and we're trying to do a lot of data mining and data visualization to see where's the uh, signal in in the real world where people are not. Everybody's eating different. Everybody's doing different physical activity. And it points to improvement in strength and endurance, which is where our clinical trial data shows. So I actually think it's a very complementary approach. I would ask you about um, dosage. Yeah. The, the little sachets,
1: the, the berry-flavored powders, mm-hmm. uh, which are the ones that I've been yeah. using. I, I tried the capsules as well, but I, I actually like the taste of the the, berry. the powder. Mm-hmm. Um, it's five hundred milligrams. Mm-hmm. I think that has been the, the standard yeah. dosing level. But I know you've also done research uh, at different levels of dosing and yeah. much much higher than that as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Where do you stand on that in terms of what mm-hmm. you're recommending and what potentially higher doses? Uh, the kind of results that mm-hmm. you can get from that.
0: Yeah, so 500 gives you uh, a very good boost on on mitochondrial and cellular health. This is when we, you know, our first trials we did, we we took little blood or plasma, as you say, to look at really molecular signatures of, of 500, and then we looked at even longer trials on things like muscle strength uh, effects, and 500 is, is the dose that actually wakes your mitochondria back. What happens with aging is that our processes like mitophagy, which is the cleaning of the bad mitochondria, slow down. And so, 500 milligram is sufficient to activate mitophagy, clear the waste, and make mitochondria healthy and happy, as I say, and then have impact on muscle uh, health and muscle function in, in in the broad picture. Now, at a gram, which is the, the sort of the top dose, if so you've looked at the levels of absorption, uh, a gram is where you top it out, basically, in terms of Absorption. So if you go beyond a gram to two grams, you start seeing similar levels. So you can't keep just doubling every time. At a gram, we start seeing even better effects and even quicker effects uh, on things like uh, endurance, for example. VO two max improves about five to ten percent in different populations. But the gram starts having impacts beyond muscle, and that's why personally, even I take uh, a gram because it starts having impacts on inflammation. Uh, So a lot of older adults, a lot of even elite athletes, their bodies are inflamed, and that's where we see very consistent signature at higher doses to to have a very potent anti-inflammatory effect.
1: You mentioned mitophagy five hundred milligrams being mm-hmm. the the level that that, that triggers yeah. mitophagy. Again, we've talked about this many times, our mm-hmm. previous conversation and others. But I always think it's worth just emphasizing what mitophagy, sure, autophagy, sure. is in terms of of cells and and mitochondria in particular, and why it's so important.
0: Sure. Yeah. So autophagy is basically in, at a cellular level, it's a sort of recycling of all the waste inside a cell. Mitophagy is a very targeted form of autophagy that is specific to the mitochondria. And they're depending on what cell type it is, a muscle cell has thousands of mitochondria in a cell, a neuron and even has thousands. Uh, a blood cell doesn't have so many. It has a few from 20 to about a few hundred. So uh, white blood cell, red blood cells don't have mitochondria. Right. Um, so what it really depends. If you look at a mitochondrial life cycle, a healthy mitochondria, you can promote newer healthy mitochondria. And there are strategies out there like NAD modulation to to grow the number of healthy mitochondria. But if you see in terms of a dynamic, the healthy and the unhealthy are always in a state of flux, The the mitochondria in a cell. Now, as we age, the unhealthy sort of kind of become too much. And that's where the f- whole uh, mitochondrial dysfunction theory sets in, that you have more faulty mitochondria than healthy mitochondria. And then people try to do use things like CoQ10, for example, and carnitin to take whatever's the good mitochondria to make them produce more energy. Where urolitin A is very special is that it activates this third uh, pathway in mitochondrial uh, life cycle, which is mit- mitophagy, which is basically you're taking all the bad mitochondria which have put out a eat me signal and you're putting them in a trash bin kind of system, and you're recycling them. So now they become the building blocks of near LD mitochondria. And that's what makes your litanio mitopure so different and so unique.
1: Yeah, exactly. So you mentioned you've been taking one gram, double the dose that I'm using, and Mm -hmm. that there could be some impact and and positive impact on inflammation. I think we're all Aware that inflammation is a uh, is a huge problem, mm-hmm. a bodily function that initially is designed to to protect us. Yeah, but uh, things can go significantly wrong if we are too inflamed, mm-hmm. as it were. Mm-hmm. Can you delve into that a little bit in terms of sure. what is
0: actually happening and why there could be a beneficial effect? There? Sure. Uh, back to two reasons why I take uh, one gram again is because um, a my body doesn't make. I've tested myself a number of times, and I cannot get even a single ounce of uraltinae from diet. So that's why, you know, if you're already making it, probably don't need to take that high level. 500 maybe be sufficient. Yeah, valid and, point, yeah. And, and second, um, uh, there's a history in my family history of having a lot of inflammatory bowel disease and gut disorders and inflammation. So, you know, and having studied the molecule and seeing its effects um, on the immune health and inflammation, I, I take it for that reason. Now, how does it work on inflammation? Is immune cells... Per, Particularly, the uh, a special kind of immune cell called T cell. They have about a f- they're they need mitochondria to function better, and so if they're not functioning better, uh, they, they they are also going a bit crazy in our bodies. These T these immune T cells, and, and so with aging, you get all these diseases. Like even cancer starts happening because the immune system cannot control all these processes, and and so what we think now is that taking uh, Mitopure is making these immune cells' mitochondria more efficient, and that allows the immune cells to function better. And so instead of uh, they can make uh, these sort of soluble factors that we call cytokines, they can they can dampen these uh, things. And so in clinic, as a clinician, it's very easy to measure. The readout is things like C-reactive protein. Uh, it's a common blood test that clinicians use very normally. So instead of always looking for this holy grail of what's that one mitochondrial biomarker, do we need biopsies, do we need to, you know, you can just look at immune health uh, or CRP and that makes it so much easier to track the effect in in clinic. Is it possible
1: to overdose? We're talking about 500 milligrams or or one gram. Mm -hmm. Is it possible to overdose and do harm? Doctors talk about doing no harm. That's
0: the the first principle
1: What's the research telling you?
0: So the research is telling us that this is a molecule that has evolutionarily been present. So a lot of us innately were eating fresh food and, you know, gathering fruits and nuts and eating them. And so a lot of us have evolved to make this molecule. And during the process, a lot of us have lost the ability uh, to, to make it. Uh, we have uh, done a whole safety and toxicology assessment that we also vetted with the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, where we presented all the findings. There basically is no adverse effect limit of this molecule. So you can give it almost to 5% in the diet, uh, which would be equivalent to 10, 10 gram even uh, in human uh, dosing, and you won't see a side effect uh, for this. Now, what we have looked at in human trials is, as, you, as I was mentioning, is you go from 500 to a gram, you increase the absorption, and that's why you get other higher, better effects. But as you go from a gram to a two gram, or even, you know, more than that, you won't up the levels uh, of exposure of the molecule. It sort of hits a plateau. So you, you won't get uh, this overdosing effect with this molecule. And, and it has a very nice half, what we, in, Clinicians call it as a half-life. So when does it go in the, up in the system, and when does it clear out from the system? And it's about a day. So it it works very nicely from a dosing regimen that you take it uh, in the morning uh, after overnight fasting. When already your autophagy sort of is is uh, there because fasting is known to do autophagy, and that's how we test it in our trials.
1: You mentioned fasting, so I think it is known amongst some people that mm-hmm. if you want to boost your mitochondrial health, yeah. your muscle health, that, that there are some beneficial effects of, of fasting. Now, mm-hmm. there are lots of different fasting regimes. Yeah. This time, restricted eating. Sure. So, uh, you know, what ha- applies to one doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. apply to everything. Nevertheless, I think it's generally accepted that if you want to have good mitochondrial health, that that it, it is an element of your lifestyle yep. that could be useful, mm-hmm. and there are other ways to to boost your mitochondrial health uh, as well Mm -hmm. so i'm curious in terms of people might be watching or listening to this thinking well i do a lot of exercise uh, which is another aspect of Mm -hmm. uh, boosting mitochondrial health i dabble in a little bit of fasting occasionally Mm -hmm. is that enough or is there a a virtue in combining a bit of supplementation a little bit of exercise and, and fasting as well
0: this is the mantra I follow for myself. Uh, I, the first two pillars of human health, or for my own health, I think, is obviously eating good diet, right? That's the first pillar. Second is being physically active, so getting enough exercise in. And you have to do those two things at the start. The third pillar is boosting cellular health, which I think is really the foundation pillar uh, and how you think about supplementation. Even a lot of people do stacking and trying different supplements. I think it's the third pillar because... There are a lot of times when I, you know, I don't, I'm not able to exercise, and you know, the working lifestyle, you know, I, I think I'm more a weekend warrior, and and so that's where I, I think it fills the gap. The sort of the maintenance is by doing and taking things like uh, Mitopure and other nutritional advanced supplementation. That's my approach. Uh, I think you need to take all the three pillars.
1: So let's talk about immunity. You've touched on this a little bit, but Mm -hmm. I know there is some fascinating research happening now. There are studies planned for the future Mm -hmm. to determine uh, whether supplementation of of this kind could have much broader effects on our body and Mm -hmm. uh, boost our immune system, which in itself could have
0: many positive consequences. Sure. Well... and there you have to think from two two perspectives, and that's the two perspectives we are chasing. How can you already take a good functioning immune system and make it function better in healthy folks? And second, where the immune function is weakened or non-existent, how can you then bring pure into play? And so we are now we have collaborations in two fronts, and we are actually running two randomized trials, one in healthy middle-aged folks like you and me, and, and the goal is there. Can we boost immunity and the mitochondrial health of immune cells in, the, in this sort of setting beyond what it, we think is healthy? So can we take a normal function immune system and keep it at optimal function so it can fight infections better? It, you know, it can. we all know how, the challenges of new infections, uh, having seen the last three years of COVID and how it shapes. And then the second aspect, which I think is very interesting from a, from a cancer perspective, With aging, we see increasing incidence of cancer happening around the world. And with cancer, you get two things. You get cachexia, which is basically muscle wasting. And second thing you get is a lot of these cancer patients who even beat cancer, they're taking what we call as new adjuvant, which is basically chemo and radiotherapy. And that knocks off even their healthy immune system. And and so we are very, um, in fact, there will be, um, we published uh, last year at the back end of last year, a great collaboration with a, a German group, uh, Florian Gretten and, and Dominique Denk, which showed that basically even urolithin A can be used to fight colorectal cancer because it's a gut-derived molecule. And then by adding even on top of, let's say, standard of care, medical pra- care, you can actually improve that standard of care. And so now these are kind of the sort of cancer trials, uh, not to treat or cure cancer, but how can you position it in a way that people who have fought cancer and, and sort of come out of it, how can they then lead, lead better, you know, activities of daily life, their muscle health being optimal and their immune health uh, also coming back at the peak. In fact, I spoke to Dominic Denk, okay. Dr. Denk, very recently. And yeah. so that episode
1: is is on both our YouTube site and our audio Good. platforms mm-hmm. as well. And I agree with you. It is really fascinating research. Uh, and, and for those two reasons, that there is potentially mm-hmm. a preventative element as well. to it, mm-hmm. but also in terms of, of helping people who are at different stages of, mm-hmm. of cancer. Yeah. And again, just to emphasize, there are more human Studies many more human studies still needed sure. to, to fully understand mm-hmm. that process. Yeah. But uh, I think it is fair to say that it's promising so far.
0: Yeah, I mean you have to start with small steps, and that's what we think we are taking in this in, in this journey, uh, and really working with the top uh, oncologists and immunologists like uh, Dominique and and, and in. Uh, Switzerland we are working with professor George Kukos, is probably one of the top oncologists and just was recognized as uh, one of the top uh, Cancer researchers and in, uh, in the world. So yeah, very proud to, to take these steps and I think uh, The field of immune metabolism you'll hear a lot more
1: So I think what's coming through to me from this conversation that we're having is comparative a couple of years ago mm-hmm. the The breadth of potential for what you're doing, supplementation with urolithin A, Mm -hmm. is becoming more apparent. We're talking about the immune system here, we're not just talking about mitochondria and physical strength. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you're also moving into, and in fact you've launched a a product, a a topical Mm -hmm. product, which of course involves a relationship with the skin. Mm -hmm. So a very different way of of use and uh, and of application. Mm -hmm. Uh, How did that arise? And uh, again, can you explain what the science is behind it?
0: Sure. Well, it started, uh, it's actually three-pronged. A lot of our initial uh, early adopters of our oral products actually started coming back anecdotally and telling us back to our uh, conversation on how, how do you take feedback from consumers. Some of them were saying, oh, our skin was looking better. And we started thinking, ah, that's interesting. And so the first sort of experiments you do or investigations you do is, well, let's take skin cells from older uh, folks and just put mitopure on top and see if we can see what we used to see with the muscle cells. Would would it do, Might would it improve? Would skin cells of a 70-year-old have declining mitophagy. And that was the case. We looked at uh, skin uh, samples from 70-year-old uh, women to 30-year-old women, for example, at the start. And there was a mitochondrial dysfunction in 70-year-old uh, skin samples and then a decline in mitophagy. So we started playing around and we saw that urolitinase was doing basically what we knew it, uh, in muscle and immune cells to do. So it was, A, it was improving uh, mitochondrial energetics, so now the skin cells had more energy. And second, Over time, skin is also a very big immune organ. A lot of our immune cells reside in the skin uh, with exposure to things like UV rays. The skin gets inflamed. And so by putting MitoPure on skin cells, we started seeing that there was an anti-inflammatory profile, much what we had already known about MitoPure. And the third was, well, with aging, people always ask me, oh, my mitochondrial function is declining. I know it, but how do I measure it? And it was very difficult to find uh, saying, oh, you have to go to uh, do an exercise test and jump and test your VO2 max, which is probably the closest we have today to measuring good mitochondrial uh, aerobic capacity, sort of. And so, visually aging, everybody feels it. Everybody sees uh, uh, on a daily basis that your skin is losing hydration, it's the wrinkles are coming in. And so we were very clear that we didn't want to go and target beauty, for example, as most cosmetics uh, companies would do. We are a longevity company, and we wanted to target skin as a longevity organ and see if we could reverse some of the signs by improving mitochondrial health. And that that turns out that's the case, that mitochondria have a very key role in in skin health. And as we age, the mitochondria provide fuel to things like collagen production, And so we see that in our trials that we're about to publish, actually. We're seeing that um, uh, topically applying MitoPure for about eight weeks reduces wrinkles, it improves collagen production, and most importantly, it's anti-inflammatory, so you can target both intrinsic and extrinsic aging.
1: Again, coming back to the dosing question, if you're using a a topical version of this product (laughs) as well as the the capsules or the the powder, the berry-flavored powder, you're getting more of the product. What is the implication of that?
0: So we haven't yet done that trial yet where we have sort of added 1 plus 1 and showed that it's better or equal to 2 or better than 2. Um, a lot of consumers are asking for that and we see that there is an opportunity. There, A lot of nutrition companies are not doing topical products and vice versa. Topical companies are not even thinking oral products. And we think by applying sort of improving cellular health systemically through the oral product and then going specifically to skin with the topical product will deliver an added benefit. We just haven't tested uh, in a randomized trial, but we think it will be additive. But to use the phrase, it
1: generally considered to be safe. You're confident that, uh, of the, the safety factor there. Yes.
0: Yeah, so on the skin, well, we started by doing a skin tolerance test. And it's basically what you do is you uh, take a, a topical product and you keep applying it every day for, for six weeks. And if it's alert, it's sensitizing the skin or it has some allergenic potential or it's not safe, you will pick that signal up. So we, we actually did that with 120 participants. At the start of our skin program, 20 to 75-plus age, different gender, you know, different skin types even. And we found that it was very safe uh, when applied in different doses. And then we found the dose that was giving the best efficacious uh, dose. So all our products today have 1% MitoPure in, in, in the product.
1: So we're talking about skin. We're talking about the stomach with mm-hmm. the original product. Yeah. What next? Is the scope that you haven't made public yet that uh, you're looking at and it's kind of sure. whirring around in your mind that uh, it could be the next horizon?
0: Yeah, so the, the, you know, you could think what's next in terms of what's the next benefit. So we've already kind of uh, moved the needle from muscle to immune and skin, and now we're collaborating uh, what I call the hybrid research and development approach where we are now partnering with really top professors and investigators. So three independent labs have come, including the Buck Institute of Aging, has come back to us saying this molecule has great effects on on brain health. So typically, again, with aging, neuron cells have a lot of mitochondria you get a lot of uh, cellular dysfunction, mitochondrial dysfunction happening in the brain, and we're seeing this molecule out of thousands of molecules is the most promising because we know it's safe and it's showing the effects that it is. So we, we are empowering those uh, investigators. We are, we are collaborating, we're giving a product, and we're planning to do a number of trials that will be led by these universities, but we will just support them, for example, with the product. Uh, so that's the sort of expanding the health benefit and then the second is well, just on that point yeah.
1: you know, maybe it's early days yet but mm-hmm. when you say brain health are you talking about cognition are you talking about memory what what aspect of brain health
0: yeah it, it's really uh, cognitive health and overall so uh, the first signs we're seeing is really in models of neurodeg- neurodegeneration so these are models that kind of mimic uh, MCI, what I call as mild cognitive uh, impairment early on, that starts happening post-60, 65 years of age in, in, let's say, a 10% of the population. So you're targeting these early signs of cognitive decline, and per se, a specific benefit like memory or attention, which will be the, let's say, the follow-up trial where you'll go and try to tease out what's the specific benefit. But can we improve cognitive health uh, in general uh, is the first sort of uh, benefit we're targeting.
1: Excellent. So, I interrupted you. You were going to continue.
0: Yes. So, so in terms of what's next, in terms of is there other urolithin like molecules or have we, you know, so we, we are looking in terms of uh, uh, what can we combine it uh, with. So, uh, there are other well-proven actives that we know have a high level of science behind them. And so, we're trying to take a look from a, a either proprietary intellectual property where we can combine it. with. So, our skin cream is actually a great example. We looked into the literature and found that niacinamide, which is an NAD booster, for example, uh, has already been shown high level of efficacy and it's it's available. A lot of people can use it. But then we kind of combine niacinamide with mitopure in these uh, products at different doses, of course, of niacinamide. In addition, we looked at other actives. So, we are trying to see where we can even improve the effects of what we are seeing, uh, for example, with mitofur, with other nutrients that can be sort of synergistic. So that's one approach we are taking. And then, of course, we are looking at uh, other postbiotics as well.
1: And just more generally in terms of the breadth of your research, and yep. clearly a big part of what you do is dependent on these collaborations with mm-hmm. independent scientists around the world. Mm-hmm. That, I guess, is, is hugely important challenging to operate uh, a, a, as a company like this a relatively yeah. small company just give me a, an idea of the logistics involved we've talked yeah. many times about new human trials yeah. that is a, a huge venture to launch into in terms of uh, people involved and, yeah. and, and the expenses involved
0: yeah, it, it is quite an adventure. And, and I'll give you the example of a trial Well, we published in JAMA recently as one example. And then I'll talk about a new study that we are starting with. Uh, so this was a study that we wanted to do in 70 to 90-year-olds. Uh, it was led and actually conducted at University of Washington in Seattle. And the investigator is one of the most recognized professors to study mitochondrial dysfunction in humans, where you put people in an MRI-like magnet and you measure their mitochondrial health as the exercise in an MRI-like machine. And so not many people around the world had that infrastructure, so we started collaborating. It was around the time um, COVID also hit, Uh, it was not easy to recruit 70 plus because it was hitting a lot of older adults. So there were challenges now. A trial like this costs about a million plus, and that's the kind of investment we have to commit to early on uh, in, in our in our journey to providing that level of science to back our products. And then it takes we had to bring in organizations that actually go measure if every older participant in a trial is actually taking the product on a daily basis. You have to call them up to keep reminding them: uh, Are you? Did you take your product today? And you have to count, actually, the number of pills uh, at the end of the trial. We Well, we gave them 120. Did they come back with uh, only eight because they should have taken so many? And so it, it's a huge endeavor. that uh, And then once you have all the data, you have to securely put the data in a secure uh, server. Then you have to have a statistician look at the data from different angles. So it's... It, each clinical trial has been a two three year um, I can write a book about it <laughs> well it's That's interesting why. you should say that because i i've only
1: won, but I, I was a subject yeah. in a, a clinical trial actually two there've been two over the last few years clinical trials that i was I was the subject mm-hmm. and I mean I did it deliberately because I was curious about the process, but yeah. it really brought it home to me yeah. how the, dis- the scientists are dependent on the the diligence Absolutely. of those individuals and yeah. their commitment to be to be fair and open and honest. Yeah, and the potential that, that if those people are are not compliant, how it could really skew the results of the trial.
0: Absolutely, it, it's a major um, let's say obstacle in, in in readouts of clinical trials um, is the compliance uh, and and, um, and we say okay. If, Participant took 80% of the time, the product. We we include them in the analysis at the end of the trial. And and a lot of times, it's about the right communication to the participant, Did they understand what study they were participating in. Um, I I will never forget in my life, uh, the oldest participant in this trial, I was telling you, was an 89-year-old lady. She finished the trial, which was a four-month trial. Uh, We didn't know. She didn't know if she was on the placebo or the active product. She came back saying after, well, when am I going to get to know which product I was, was uh, because I, I still garden a lot and I felt the product was improving, um, uh, that I wasn't so sore after that. And, and she's like, you have to tell me so I can actually buy a product and be on it versus it took us another six months to finish that trial because you have to get enough participants and when we unblinded, I, I message her saying, well, you were she was on the, the active MitoPure product and she knew it. So, sometimes you have to, uh, and, and then we sent her a four-month uh, subscription for free because she believed in the product so much. Uh, so, this, you know, uh, par- we won't uh, increase our knowledge of science if it was not for people like, you know, you mentioned you participated and I think that's absolutely brilliant. People need to volunteer and take part in more studies.
1: Just in closing, I detect your uh, continued enthusiasm Mm -hmm. for this over the years that you've been involved. And as you look to the future, what continues to get you
0: out of bed in the morning to do this kind of work? Sure. Well, I've been at it for almost uh, 10 years now here uh, on the research. Uh, Well, two things. One is the great team we have here. We have an absolutely, um, we have a small team, but that, you know, everybody puts multiple hats. um, and, And so... Uh, that's just, you know, seeing it go when I started. I think I was employee number three. And now we've, of course, grown 10 times more and 12 times more. But seeing the product go from a discovery at the bench in a lab level, that's when I started taking it to humans to now the breakfast table. As I say, of people is the satisfaction is so immense, right? And the second is uh, just when I talk to people who are on the product who tell me these great things and and that's one of the reasons why i moved from clinical practice because as a physician you're seeing a few patients a day and you're seeing the same kind of patients in a day now i see actually my work impacting hundreds and even thousands of people uh, on a daily basis so that's what gets me up in the day and 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 then seeing the immense potential and, and Also the validation that what we uh, spent 10-15 years doing, trying to change how nutrition research should be done uh, and laying the template because a lot of times when I started, people were blending probiotics, vitamins all in one thing and selling it, you know, you you wouldn't really do a lot of research, you would just put your marketing dollars on it. And we've spent the research dollars and then said, okay, we believe in the product, now we're going to sell. So yeah, that's what's exciting.
1: Rod Singh, it's always a
0: huge pleasure to yeah. talk to you. Thank you very much. Sure. Well, pleasure is always mine to talk to you, Peter. Thanks.
1: In our next episode, a conversation with Dr. Nicola Vanini, who's a researcher at the Department of Oncology at the University of Lausanne in Switzerland. In experiments with mice, he and his team have been looking at how exposure to urolithin A affects the ability of a special type of stem cell to maintain healthy blood and a well-functioning immune system. The one from old mice, they were treated with urolitin A. Afterwards, they were transplanted in recipient mice, and the results were quite astonishing. It's a really interesting study. More from Dr. Vanini in our next episode of the Lama Podcast. This has been a Healthspan Media production. There's a full transcript of my conversation with Dr. Singh in the show notes for this episode, which you'll find at our website, Podcast.